Good morning. My name's Nicole. I'm an alcoholic. Welcome to the third and final workshop of the 69th Kentucky State Convention. Glad you're all here. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer, please. Prayer. This is the Why I Came, Why I Stay workshop, which is basically, why'd you come in? Why the heck do you hang around? I know we're fun. I've heard lots of people say, life got good, I left, life got bad, which is kind of my theme song, right? But these people have come, and they have stayed, and they were willing to share some experience, strength, and hope this morning. So they're just going to give a, a brief overview of newcomer to long-timer, which is the new term we're using, because old-timer could be offensive. <laughs> I had the honor of going to the Sobriety Under the Sun conference in January in beautiful Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and that is what they called them. And my sponsor happens to be one of those old, old-timers. So we've adopted the long-timer statement instead. She said it makes her feel better. All about preserving the ego. So we've started with our newest, as far as sobriety, heading all the way to our longest-timer. And I'm going to hand the floor... <laughs> I knew eventually it was going to backfire on me. (laughs) I'm going to hand the mic over to Lindsay. I'm Lindsay, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, My sobriety date is February 4th, 2009. Um, Home group. Home group is Hungry Spirits in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Um, why I came to Alcoholics Anonymous would be, uh, I had no other options. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Um, so <clears throat> my first initial meeting in Alcoholics Anonymous was actually when I was in college. Um, I was asked to go to an AA meeting and write a paper on quote-unquote self-help group. Um, And when I was sitting in the meeting trying to do my little assignment, I was like, oh, my gosh, I think I'm supposed to be here. Um, And that was really my first experience. And somebody come up to me and was like, hey, who are you? What are you doing? I was like, well, I thought I was doing a homework assignment, but I think I belong here. Um... I didn't end up staying at that moment, but uh, I kind of got a, a pretty good inclination of where I belonged. Um, and then I ended up uh, several treatment centers, uh, detoxes, all that kind of stuff, and then wound up where, you know, no family member wants you in their house. I have all my stuff in a trash bag. Uh, get dropped off somewhere and ended up getting dropped off at a recovery Kentucky center, which is a long-term treatment center. And, um, 
And I have stayed in Alcoholics Anonymous ever since that day. Um, so that is why, that is why I came. Um, now why I stay, because I would love to say it's because, uh, AA provided me this connection with this higher power and now I know it's my life purpose to help other people. <laughs> That's why I said, no, I'm just kidding. That is not why I stay. <laughs> I would love to be able to say that I stay to help other people, um, but I, I, I truly, honestly don't. Um, I stay because I'm sick. <laughs> um, I, I truly, uh, I truly am just as sick as I was when I first came in. I think my disease manifests in a lot of different ways now, um, and a lot of times it wears all these different kinds of masks and. Uh, I still need help. Um, I just, I, I know I still need help. And, and quite frankly, I have this debt to AA. Like, um, I came into AA when I was pretty young. Um, I was in my early 20s. And people in AA literally taught me how to live. Um, they were my family. Uh, they raised me. Um, and your family's not really something that you want to ever leave. So, um, I don't want to ever leave my people. And I know if I stop coming to meetings and if I stop meeting with my sponsor and if I stop having sponsees, I'm going to lose my family. Um, and that would be losing the one thing that means the most to me. So at this today, I am just not willing to sacrifice my relationships because those relationships are the most valuable relationships that I have and are the relationships in which are the most authentic and are the relationships in which I've had the longest. So um, that is why I choose to stay. Well done, Lindsay. Well done. Hey, everybody, I'm Holly. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I am way more comfortable up here than I probably need to be. Um, <laughs> uh, I was talking to Shalise last night, and she's like, I'm all weird being, like, looking down on you all. Um, unfortunately, my ego appreciates it. Um, that's just being really honest, man, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm sick, man. I've been here for a bit, but I'm still sick. Um, so my sobriety date is June 1st, 2003. By God's grace, I've been sober for 16 years. I never wanted to be sober for 16 years. Um, and um, my home group used to be the Simply the Solution group on Wednesday night in Lexington at 6.30. And uh, I have recently switched. I started a group uh, about five years ago when I got pregnant. I was homebound, and I needed some ladies to bring me a meeting. Uh, they started coming out, and they've come out every Monday since to my home. And uh, we finally moved it. Um, so it's been going on about five years, and we finally moved it to a church and made it official. In fact, I've learned some stuff this weekend about who to contact and some things, some check boxes that I haven't checked off that need to be done to make sure that that group becomes a home group and everybody can know about it. So... Um, one of the things that I think is interesting about AA, and I didn't realize this um, until I got here and, and learned about my condition, and Lindsay touched on it a little bit, is that 
The 12 and 12 talks about my fundamental defect is my inability to have relations with other people, to have good relationships. And it talks about that in the 12 and 12. In step four, it says alcoholics especially should be able to see that instinct run wild in themselves is the underlying cause of their destructive, destructive drinking. Um, and it talks about that a little bit later in the amends process, you know, that these inability to form true relationships is the, the underlying cause of my alcoholism. And that was very true for me. I was the sort that I felt like I was in the wrong family. Nobody understood me. Nobody got me. My mom put me in front of several counselors trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Um, and nobody got me. And drinking was my way to be able to feel a part of and feel that camaraderie that we feel in these rooms. And um, so the drinking took me at about 14, and by 28, I was an absolute wreck. Um, I had no friends. I had a bunch of drinking buddies, and um, I was miserable to the point where I can recall um, in those later days laying on my floor in my living room, listening to Pink Floyd as loud as I could, drunk as crap, and just bawling my eyes out because the loneliness and the pain that I felt was just way too much for me to bear. I could go to family functions, and I would be, I have a huge family. There's six of us kids, and I could go to family functions, and I would feel so alone in a room full of people who are supposed to love me, and I couldn't let them do that. I could not let them love me, and I didn't realize that that was what my problem was, and that was why I drank the way I drank. I didn't know that until I got here. And so when I did get here, um, at my first meeting, I was, um, I was, I drug a friend of mine to my first meeting because I wasn't going to go alone and I didn't want to be judged. I didn't, you know, all those crazy things that go through your head when you go to your first meeting. I was absolutely petrified to walk into these rooms and I sat down and I started hearing some of you all talk and you were sharing your stories and what you thought and what you felt and what you did. And I was like, holy crap, I did that. And I thought that, and I felt that, and I'm like, oh, my God, I am amongst my people. And, you know, for the first time, I felt understood. You know, I didn't feel like there was anything, well, I felt like there was something wrong with me, but it was wrong with you all, too, and so I was amongst good company, you know. Um, And it was that ability to relate that kept my little butt in the seat. Um, After that, um, I was not one who jumped into AA with both feet. Um, I've tried to find way other means to be able to recover, and I did a lot of two-stepping. If you don't know what two-stepping is, that's in the 12th step of the 12 and 12. But it talks about, you know, I admitted that I was powerless over alcohol, and then I just went out and helped a lot of other people, okay? (laughs) I I didn't do much steps in between there. Um, I did do a brief fourth step, which I think kept me sober. But by the time I was seven years sober, I was absolutely bat crap crazy, Absolutely. Um, you know, Marty talked about it a little bit in her lead last night, too. You know, and, and I just wanted the easier, softer way. I didn't want to do what you all did. I didn't think I was as bad as you all. Um, <laughs> but I was. And I needed what you all had. And so at seven years crazy, uh, or at seven years sober, I'm crazy. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm literally talking to people, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? You know, I couldn't figure that out. And so, thank God, God puts certain people in your path. And he put this gentleman in my path who was very heavily involved in AA. And he laughed at me one day and he said, what I hear is untreated alcoholism. 
And I was like, no, I've got a daughter that's a teenager and I've got a husband that's crazy and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, you've got untreated alcoholism. And if you don't treat it, you're going to die. And I was like, well, that's crazier than me. Like, that's, I don't even think about drinking. God, how many times have we heard that? I don't even think about drinking. Okay, well, you are well on your way if you're not even thinking about drinking. And I was, and I didn't know it. And so he started harassing me by sending me texts all the time, and he would say, I'm going down to the Alano. You want to come? And I just to get him off my back, I finally was like, fine, I'll go. And I went, and um, I've been in love with AA ever since. I jumped in with both feet. Um, I found that camaraderie and stuff that, that Bill talks about in, in the book. I mean, he talks about, you know, being able to form these connections. Lindsay talked about it. You know, I have way more intimate friends than I've ever had in my life. I've got people who will drop everything in the middle of the night and be there for me. Um, and, and I will do that in return. I've been taught how to do that. You know, and it's these connections with these people. I mean, I feel connections with you guys. I love you all, and I don't even know you. I don't need to know you. You know, and, and to me, that is what I've been searching for my whole life that I've tried to look for in the bar rooms and wherever else I was. We won't talk about that. But, you know, I was looking for that connection, you know, and I couldn't find it. And, and again, I grew up in AA. I've learned how to deal with life. I've learned how to have relationships. I don't know that I'm having a very healthy one, but it seems healthy. I have a man who loves me, and we met on the AA campus, and he was sober for a while and had a sponsor, and I was sober for a while and I had a sponsor, and we did some inventory before we started dating. And now we date, and we work the program, and we do the deal. And it's not perfect, but it's a heck of a lot better than anything I've ever experienced. And the same goes for my relationship with my family. The same goes for the relationship with friends at work. I try to practice these principles in all my affairs, which means all my affairs. I take this into everything that I do. And Bill promises us in his story, he says, We commence to make many fast friends. A fellowship has grown up among us, of which it's a wonderful thing to feel a part. The joy of living we really have, even under pressure and difficulty. I have seen hundreds of families set their feet upon the path that really goes somewhere, have seen the most impossible domestic situations righted, feuds and bitterness of all sorts wiped out. I have seen men come out of asylums and resume a vital place in the lives of their families and communities. Business and professional men have regained their standing. There is scarcely any form of trouble and misery which has not been overcome among us. Holy crap. That's why I stay. Thank you, guys. Good morning. I'm Johnny, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date is February 18th, 1993. And my home group is the Women Today group that meets here at 730 on Wednesday nights at the clubhouse. So uh, I'm grateful to be here this morning. Um, why I came... The judge sent me, uh, <laughs> basically. And um, I didn't take a drink until I was 18 and in college. And within a year, I had had about 18 inches of my small intestines removed. I had got my first DUI and been to jail for my first public intoxication. Unlike some of these ladies, when I went to my first meeting, I did not feel at home. I did not feel like I belonged here. Nobody looked like me up in here. Uh, you were old and white. And so um, 
And I really felt sorry for you guys because you read the same thing over and over again. I said, oh, bless their hearts. They can't even remember. <laughs> you know? They read that every single time. And, you know, and uh, I think the first time I was sentenced to, like, five meetings or something for that DUI. And, uh, you know, you sit around. I'm pretty observant. I always have been. And uh, I, this guy, he always says that. And this person, she always says that. And like I said, I just felt really sorry for you guys. Because obviously, if you had my intellect, you would not have to be sitting in these rooms forever. You know, I heard people talking about coming around here for 20 years. Good God. Why? I mean, don't you get a life, you know? Uh, so uh, that was kind of my first impression of AA. And probably... Each time after that, uh, I only drank for 10 years, but in t I'm an overachiever. And so um, I uh, did lots of stuff in those 10 years that nobody would be proud of. I'm a preacher's daughter. And, um, you know, all through high school and all that, it wasn't that I was such a goody two-shoes, but I had been taught that you do not bring shame upon the family. So... I didn't, you know, and, you know, my parents did the best they could. My mom was sick. She was mentally ill. We didn't call it that then, but she was paranoid schizophrenic. So it was always real interesting in my house, unless you guys came over, you know, or anybody. Then, you know, we looked like it was wonderful, you know, but, uh, and they didn't tell me to lie. In fact, they told me just the opposite, but we kept lots and lots of secrets. You know, you just don't talk about things that happen in this house. I didn't grow up around any alcohol, never saw people drink. I had some uncles that we heard people whisper about drinking, but I didn't see them drink, and they didn't come to the preacher's house drinking. So um, didn't really know a lot about alcohol. Um, everybody always talked about all my great potential. And like I said, I was an overachiever, so, you know, I went off to college with all these scholarships and uh Everybody was, you know, beaming about what I was going to be someday, you know. And uh, second, first week of college went really good. The second week I went to a frat party and somebody handed me some punch. And, uh, you know, I was in a styrofoam cup and I'm like, yeah, because, you know, I'm fitting in. And so I downed that sucker, you know, and it hits there. Warmth. And all of you that drank just felt it just like I did. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, wow, I have found the answer, the answer. So alcohol wasn't my problem. It was the answer to all my problems. I never felt like I belonged. I don't know why I was dropped off with these parents. Um, you know, but I didn't feel like I belonged to them. And so, you know, it was always real crazy, but, you know, we knew how to put on a good show. And so that alcohol that day, I, I, you know, the first time I drank, I blacked out, although I didn't know it's what you called it then, um, and pretty much every time after that. And so uh, when people, my girlfriends were telling me about what I'd done and what had happened the night before, I didn't believe them. But I didn't have any point of reference. Like I said, I hadn't been around anybody that drank. So, But then I thought, they must not remember either if I don't. So, you know, uh, but I knew I couldn't wait to do it again. And I couldn't wait to do it again, 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 and again. And uh, the reason I had all that small intestine move it removed is because way before drinking, I had all the symptomology, if you will, of alcoholism. And so uh, one of the ways I controlled things was by not eating. 
And so when you start pouring about a fifth of Jack Daniels down on your belly without eating every day, it causes problems. So, you know, they had to take care of some things in there. But uh, So, you know, over those ten years, you know, um, I'm the poster child for mad of the people they hate. Uh, in those ten years, I got nine DUIs. Um, yeah, wow. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> The reason I'm not in federal prison or prison today is because the law didn't change to about 1986 or so. And so at first it was just this, and you pay a fine. And uh, my dad knew the local judge here, my first HP, Henry Potter. And, uh, you know, he would look out in the audience like this, and he said, Johnny, is that you back there? And I'd say, yes, sir. And he said, come on up here. Aren't you supposed to be in class? Yes, sir. And he said, get out of here. Now, don't be out there drinking. You know, and so there weren't any big consequences of that. I mean, I rent cars, I lost money, I paid fines, no big deal, whatever. You know, around 1989, I found out uh, that I was pregnant after I was three months pregnant, and I'd started supplementing my drinking with lots of spices, if you will, and um, because uh, I'd graduated college and I did physical therapy for during this time, so be careful of your health care workers, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and back then there weren't Pixis machines and locked up things and all that, and so, you know, we just had a really good time at work, but uh, because of that surgery and all that stuff, I wasn't supposed to be able to have kids, but here I am pregnant, you know, three months, and um, fear that few people know set in on me when they showed me that ultrasound because I was already about three and a half months pregnant and I knew what I'd been put in my body and I was terrified. Here was this miracle, you know, and at 18 I decided, you know, I'm done with God. You know, he's left me with these people, this preacher, these people at church that have hurt me. Uh, there was some laying on of hands and it wasn't in a spiritual nature. And, uh, you know, so... You know, I was done with all that because God, Dad, uh, these people in church, it was all one big messy ball. It, and so, you know, I'm done with you. I never stopped believing in God, but I just didn't believe that he gave a shit about me. And that was just the truth of it. Um, so here's this baby growing inside of me because I didn't believe that till they showed me. And I'm like, oh, my God, what do I do? I mean, and I remember the fear. And I'd like to say I didn't take another drink, but I think I drank two more times before he was born. And by some miracle, he was perfect and healthy and alive. So, all right, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, you know, because I'm a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps kind of girl, and life's going to be good. And so, you know, I'm not going to do those spices anymore, but alcohol is legal. You know, so, you know, you can have a drink, even if you're nursing. You know, it doesn't matter. And uh, so, you know, I commenced to drink, and you all know how that went within about two days. And, uh, yeah, and so um, my house was the party house because I'm not going to be in the street. I'm a mom now, staying at home with my kid and taking care of him, you know. And uh, so people came to my house. And, you know, if you knew him or met him, he, he must be okay or her or whoever was in my house. My two-year-old walked around and picked up people's drinks and uh, got drunk. Uh, and we thought it was funny because he could take a straight drink of whiskey and not make a face. You know, great mom, just ask me. And uh, I believe that. Uh, my last DUI, he was in the car with me, and uh, it, it did not end pretty. You know, I was in a blackout. I don't even remember getting on the highway. 
And, um, but God woke me up long enough to see this kid screaming for me as they're handcuffing me and putting me in one car and him in another. That's my last drunk so far. And that's been lots of years ago, and that's still. And I'm grateful for that because, you know, losing cars, losing money, losing stuff, none of that mattered. God had to take my heart. And uh, now you got my attention. But, you know, when I saw those cops behind me, and I'd been in and out of these rooms, not in AA, but in and out of these rooms for a long time. And uh, at this DUI, I'd been white-knuckling it for about eight months before I took that drink that day. And uh, all the stuff you hear in here, it all came flooding in. Suddenly, suddenly, I knew what powerlessness meant. Suddenly, I knew that I was one of you guys. Suddenly, I knew that you guys had the answer. You know, I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I knew you guys had the answer. So, you know, after a stint in jail, losing custody of my child, losing my job, my car, anything that meant anything to me at all, on February 17th of 1993, after I got out of jail, they graciously allowed me to go to a rehab. I went there where they took us to meetings and talked about AA and the 12 steps every day. Um, and since then, you know, I dug in and uh, I picked a sponsor, somebody that scared me a little bit because she seemed like a badass and I was too. So, you know, I picked her and uh, she got me through the steps and... Uh, you know, back then, they didn't ask you what you wanted to do, you know, and uh, a lot of my sponsees and, and their sponsees, they kind of look at me today, but that's the way I was raised. You know, uh, we didn't have all these recovery homes and all that stuff. These women would just drive up and they'd say, get in the car. We're going to, we're, and I'm like, but I had to get in the car, you know, and we just went, yes, ma'am, you know, and uh they took us to a lot of area meetings, and uh, we got to uh, meetings around the region, and so we got to meet other women in recovery, and we got to find out that AA was bigger than our little spot. And that's what's so great about these conferences. We find out what a small dot we are and how this has to be God-inspired because it spreads. We are billions in numbers, you know, and we translate our book and all of those uh languages you know the guy last night uh yesterday talking about being in the army and us sending him letters you know they get him through something in saudi arabia we are everywhere and it's awesome and why do i stay in aa well you know i was uh experiencing pitiful incomprehensible demoralization aa gave me a life it gave me self-respect self-worth it gave me friends it gave me family it gave me more than i could ever dream of you know um That child, that day I went to jail, he didn't live in my home again for 13 years because I lost custody of him. He lived with his dad, who enjoyed making me jump through hoops to see him. Um, I ran into this old um, biker redneck, and I ended up marrying him after he got me knocked up. And so uh, we had a kid, too, and, you know, we've had a family, and, you know, we've we've grown, and... uh, you know, you guys helped me raise my kids. Thank God for Alateen. You know, uh, you guys showed me how to be a lady. My mother tried for years. It didn't work. You know, uh, but you showed me how to live in this world and not drink. You showed me how to deal with life on life's terms. And we've had a lot of life on life's terms. Things happen to us. 
but we haven't, I haven't found it necessary to pick up a drink to deal with any of it. And that's why I stay, because my life is so good today, better than I ever deserved, because if I got everything I deserved, I would not be here this morning. You know, and I stay because I want it to be that way. And I stay because I do want to contribute. So far, none of our three children, his, mine, and ours, are alcoholic. But they all know about the disease. I mean, we got a, one of them had a birthday yesterday and we got a call from the middle one yesterday. He said, Oh, I forgot you were at the convention. Cause they grew up in these things. And they said, Well, y'all have fun. Tell everybody hi. That kind of thing, you know. So this is their family too. They ask about you people, you know. How so and so? How are they doing? Are they okay? And so, you know, uh, you give me a life I would never dream of, and I stay because I want it to be here for them or your kids or your grandkids or whoever else, and I am responsible for that. And so thank you all. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name's Terry. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is June the 2nd of 1992. And by the grace of God and the fellowship of this Alcoholics Anonymous, I hadn't found it necessary to take a drink since then. Uh, I'm truly grateful for that. I, uh, Lindsay and Holly didn't stay up here near long enough. Uh, <laughs> and I wish I'd have gone first instead of last. Uh, what got me here is, uh, I drank too long. Too often, <clears throat> too many times. So, uh, other than that, I, uh, I started drinking, uh, and I don't blame the military for my drinking or my being an alcoholic, but I did start drinking pretty heavily in the Air Force, uh, at the age of 18. And I continued to drink, and it was fun. I had a lot of fun drinking. Uh, I think, I'm not the brightest person, but I think if it had all been bad to start with, I wouldn't have stayed out there as long. But uh, I drank for several years, and it was a lot of fun. But when the fun wore off, uh, I couldn't stop drinking. And so uh, what really happened was I drank uh, again for several years. I relate to Johnny and and uh, Holly and, and Lindsay. Uh, the consequences started getting bad, and... Uh, but it's still not bad enough. And, and although I'd gone through uh, several jobs, uh, I'd always, uh, but I would say, you know, I never got fired because of my drinking and uh, because I'd quit before I got fired. And so I wouldn't have to answer that as a yes. Uh, two divorces uh, that I got absolutely because of alcohol, untreated alcoholism. Uh, but what, uh, what really got me here, and I'd, I've heard this, uh, several times, uh, over the, over the past, uh, few years, the gift of desperation. There come a time, uh, in 1991 that I had gotten a third, and, and Johnny mentioned it, uh, years ago, uh, a DUI wasn't that serious in Bowling Green before MAD, the MAD Mothers, uh, program took over. And, and I knew the same judges. Uh, <laughs> and I remember going to my first meeting, they were talking about a higher power, HP, and I thought, Henry Potter, you know. <laughs> Henry was the judge here. And so, uh, anyway, uh, uh, in 91, I had, uh, over Memorial Day weekend, 
I had uh, gone to a party up at Barren River Lake and uh, on the way back. And I, I had stayed pretty drunk for the three days. And on the way back, I'd gotten stopped by the police and then got a DUI. And when I went to court, that was uh, in 91, and that was my third DUI within a five-year period. And so I knew uh, without a doubt that I was... Uh, I was going to prison for two years, and uh, so, and looking back, God had another plan. This was before I even had any any uh, dealings with a God of my understanding at all. Uh, I knew, or I thought and believed there was a God, but I was like Holly and some others have said, you know, I really didn't believe God was going to do anything for me because of the way I had lived, the way I had treated people. And so uh, I was, uh, okay, I was going to go to uh, go to prison for two years. And uh, rather than that, God had another plan, and, and the judge uh, took my driver's, uh, driving privileges away for two years, uh, put me on home incarceration, had to wear one of those ankle bracelets for uh, 60 days, and a pretty heavy fine. And so uh, during that 60 days, uh, and that was in the uh, 1st of October, so I was on home incarceration until the end of November. There's my sponsor. Glad to see him here this morning. <laughs> anyway, uh, and I do have a sponsor uh, and a home group in a big book. Uh, but anyway, uh during that 60 days, I didn't drink. I knew I'd been given my last last chance, last opportunity, whatever. And after getting to Alcoholics Anonymous and reading in the book where it talks about restless, irritable, and discontent, during that 60 days, untreated alcoholism, I'd never been to AA before. And I was, I was restless, irritable, and discontent. That was when I'd ran my second wife off for the last time. She left and didn't come back this time. Uh, and I, I you know, I, I, I got drunk after 60 days. After I got that bracelet off, the first thing I did was drink and get drunk. Uh, that was the first of December of, uh, 91. And I said my sobriety date's June of 92. So I drank for another six months. And it got so bad and I didn't know where to turn to other than that same Memorial Day weekend a year later, the same thing, expecting different results. I went to the lake again, got drunk, came home. This time I didn't get a DUI. I woke up or came to that morning, and I was given that gift of desperation. I knew. I look back, and I know it's a spiritual bottom. It wasn't all the jail time I spent. It wasn't the jobs I'd lost. It wasn't the two ex-wives. It wasn't about the money like some others have talked about. It wasn't any of that. It was a spiritual bottom that I knew I could not go on living the way I was living. The big book talks about it. I was either going to go on and follow it to the bitter end or die or I was going to have to get sober. So uh, that morning I made a phone call. And uh, I feel so uh, so honored that I I worked at a place that had good insurance, and I was uh, 
I was able to go to a treatment center here in Bowling Green. It's no longer here now, but uh, it was a, it was the place I needed to go at the time. And so I really, I absolutely did not know. I knew I didn't drink like <clears throat> a lot of other people that I drink with. They would drink one or two, maybe three drinks, and and they'd go home to their wives or their family. <clears throat> I couldn't do that. If I drink one drink, I don't know when I'm going to stop. And uh, so anyway, uh, I went to this treatment center, and they give me one of those big blue books, and they said, here, study this and read it. And I did, and that's when I found, I think it's on page 44 that says if you absolutely try to stop and find out that you can't, then you're probably alcoholic. And so I'm probably an alcoholic. Uh, so, no, there's no doubt about it. I'm not probably an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a real alcoholic. So, uh, after, after reading that and, and finding out what was really wrong with me, uh, the way I felt inside, and, and some others have shared that, I never felt good enough. I never felt like I belonged anywhere until I, again, until I got to you all, and I knew it was home. Uh, and so that's what got me here was uh, a gift of desperation, the, the consequences, the pain that got bad enough, and uh, I am so grateful to uh, to people uh uh, that got here before me that kept the doors open uh, long enough for me to get here. Grateful to a God of my understanding that let me, allowed me to live long enough to get to Alcoholics Anonymous so that you all could help me. Uh, what keeps me here, uh, I don't have any place else to go. <laughs> yeah. Bottom line, you know, I don't want to go anywhere else. Uh, Holly talked about, it. you know, and it says in the big book, it says this uh, kind of paraphrasing, uh, an experience that you must not miss is watching the fellowship grow up around you. And I've been able to do that. Uh, it's been awesome. Just, you know, I've had some sponsees. Uh, I've had some sponsees come in and go back out. I've had some sponsees that stayed sober. Uh, just watching the fellowship grow up and, and be a part of that, uh, being useful, being able to help someone else, like Holly was talking about. I hope, and, I, and that, that's my desire, is that uh, I try to be of service to God and others each day, try to help someone uh, if I can. And uh, no matter how much I do or how much I'm able to help, uh, it's all been given back to me tenfold. I can never repay what's been given to me. Um, I have gone through some things in, in sobriety that uh, I wouldn't wish on no one. I've got two sons <clears throat> that are in prison or in jail. One's in prison. One's going to prison. I think uh, he's in jail right now. <laughs> Probably going to prison, all because of untreated alcoholism. Uh, my youngest son's been uh, incarcerated for five years now. Uh, he had a meth lab blow up on him. Uh, he is very lucky to be alive. I've got pictures on my phone. I'll show anybody that wants to see them after the meeting if you'd like to, to see what it looks like when a meth lab blows up. He was air flighted to Vanderbilt Hospital. And when I walked in the hospital room and looked at him, I knew that he was going to die. But he survived, and uh, he's been been incarcerated for the last five years. 
I hope he's going to get out, uh, I think, this coming July. And uh, I hope that he's changed and uh, will we'll stay sober. My other son just recently, uh, about a month ago, shot and killed a guy here in Bowling Green. A lot of you, I'm sure, have read about it. And he had three years sober in Alcoholics Anonymous before that, and he went back out, and that's what happens. That's the results, I think, of untreated alcoholism. I've talked to him since then, and, uh, of course, uh, he, he's ashamed and, and sorry that it happened, but that is what happens, I think, what happens when you, if I, not when you, when I would run around with uh, the wrong people or the wrong crowd, uh, bad things are going to happen. And so I don't know what's going to happen with him, but uh, anyway, uh, and I thought about it, you know, but for the grace of God, go I. Even though he shot and killed a guy, I could have, the same thing could have happened to me uh, several times when I was driving in a blackout. I could have killed several people uh, with an automobile. So <clears throat> it is by the grace of God that I'm standing here today with you all, and I'm truly grateful for it. And uh, thank you all for showing up.